Hey everyone, I just want to make a correction to something we say later in this episode of the podcast. Uh, Reza and I were both under the impression that Alan Yang and Aziz Ansari had written every episode of this show. That is not the case. We looked it up later, and there was a team of writers on this show. Alan Yang and Aziz Ansari were just the showrunners. Uh, just wanted to clarify that, give uh, the writers credit where credit is due. And enjoy the episode. Thanks. So you're watching this episode, the parents' episode, and so much of the dialogue is hitting home, but you're, I'm also thinking like, God damn it. God damn it. You know? Like, just, why didn't you just freaking sack up and write something like this uh, for television? If people are into this, I have this for days. You know, I have this for days. I can write this fucking episode six times. It's that podcast where we watch an insane amount of television in a very short period of time and then tell you what we think. We've binged. Now it's time to purge. Alright, hey everyone, thanks for listening to The Purge. I'm Chris, my guest today is Reza Breakstone. How are you doing, man? What's up, buddy? Long time no speak. Greetings <laughs> yeah, from Rhode Island. In, you're in, uh, are you actually in Providence or are you just like outside? I'm actually in the city of Providence on the east side. Okay. And is that, does Providence take up most of the state of Rhode Island? Is that how that works? That's how I picture it in my head. It's like the bulk. Yeah, basically. It's just like, you know, it's not only just the thumb, but it's like the whole palm of the hand. That's how much Rhode Island, uh, that's how much Providence takes up. It's it's actually the smallest state and Providence is its capital. It doesn't take up that much, but it's just the major city here. So oh, a lot yeah. of people like uh, gravitate towards Providence in Rhode Island. I mean, you could literally drive, Chris, through Rhode Island in 38 minutes. In 38 minutes, 38 all the way minutes. through the state. You can drive all the way through the state in 38 minutes, top to bottom. You can't even get to another neighborhood in Los Angeles in 38 minutes. I know. I, I, I could barely get to the, the – what was the big supermarket? Oh, the Ralphs. I couldn't get the to Ralphs. the Ralphs in 38 minutes. <laughs> yeah. so, oh, man. Yeah. And you, you, you don't work in Rhode Island though, right? You work in – do you work in – Wait, where do you work? Sorry. I work – no, I work in Boston. My OK. Law, that's my, what I thought. Yeah, my dad's law firm uh, is in Boston. I work for him and his two partners. So I commute you know, like three days a week, three, four days a week. I have a home office the other day or two. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not bad. Uh, you know, perfect example was bringing up LA's traffic. It's like you know, in LA, it could take you 45 minutes to drive from Sherman Oaks to let's say the airport easily. Yeah. Easily. Easily, and they're not that far apart. They're like five miles apart. Right. So Boston is, in general, without any traffic, like a 45, 50-minute commute. I, in the morning, take a train, so it's like, you know, an hour and a half. But it's like, you know, I am traveling from one state to another. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, I know it's next to each other, but you are – that's like the funny thing about New England is the amount of time it could take you to travel from Sherman Oaks to the airport. You could drive through three states in New England. You could okay. go from like New Hampshire to Massachusetts to, to Rhode Island and even to Connecticut in probably an hour. Uh, that's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So New England uh, – what do you think about Manchester by the Sea? Okay, so here, here's <laughs> here's the deal. All right, here's the deal. I have, do you know already how I felt about it? Well, that's what I'm about to tell you. Your okay. opinion of me of that movie, 
<laughs> of it being depression porn is like what has kept me from fully watching it. Like I've watched it in in fits and starts on like clips online and this and that and trailers yeah. and this and that. I even have I'm not even supposed to say this, but I even have like a pirated version, right? I yeah. have the movie to watch and I and I won't I can't sit to watch <laughs> it in full because all I'm thinking is like this is an invitation to just indulge in depression and I don't want to do it. <laughs> and it's all because of your take on the movie. You hate oh, this man. movie, buddy. You I, hate, I hate that movie. I do. Yeah. I hate it. You, you it it's it's depression porn, is that what you think? It's just total sadness beating you yeah. over the head. Tragedy porn. It's like yeah. uh someone like they uh, they cobble together a whole bunch of really sad scenarios specifically for people who get off on grief. Like that's what that movie is. Uh to a point where it's like in my opinion it's ludicrous that all of these different terrible things happened to this one guy or this yeah. one family even. It's like, I think the movie would have been fine with just one terrible tragedy, not right. a million of them. Um, <laughs> right. And that, that like puts aside some of the like sexist stuff in the movie that I had a problem with. And then the, the fact that it's just, it's, it's a boring movie that has nothing redemptive to say. Um, eh, yeah, that's my opinion. I know a lot of people disagree with me, but man, I hated that movie. What I, what I have a hard time with now because the Boston film has become its own genre in a sense. Oh, sure it has. Yeah. And like the only thing that kind of defines the genre are like the accents. <laughs> like otherwise it's just a movie, right? A movie mm -hmm. anywhere. Um, but it has to have like the shitty Boston accents. Casey oh, yeah. Affleck's accent is good, but like, does... <laughs> well, because he's from there, right? Yeah, he's from Cambridge, right? Like, he grew uh -huh. up and went to high school in Cambridge, and this is like uh, his home. But does like Michelle Williams need to have like a crappy Boston accent? <laughs> I mean, I don't even know where Lucas Hedges is from. His accent was not bad, but like, yeah. it doesn't need to be in every movie. Like, with The Departed, I guess that had to have it, but. Not everyone who comes to Boston. Not everyone in Boston has an accent. I am from Boston. Do I? Have I, an, I don't have an accent. You don't have an accent at all. No. I mean, I could have an accent if we start drinking beers, kid. You know, <laughs> and we get super wasted. But for Christ's sakes, you know, not everyone. Not everyone in Boston has an accent. So can we stop with the bad ones? You know. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Do you feel? Do you feel like there's a Utah accent? By the way. The. There is, it's, um, I, I couldn't do it. Like yeah. it, it's regional. Like if you go into the more rural or the mountain areas, yeah. People talk with a little bit of a, uh, a Western, uh, accent, uh, a little bit of a, it sounds kind of like a hick, but it's not exactly Southern right. kind of thing. Right. Um, and that's when you get up into the mountains or like the more rural areas. If you're in the cities, there's just a tendency to drop uh, consonants, uh, mountain, fountain. Uh, I was drinking from the fountain. Uh, I was going up into mountains. We are fishing it. in the creek, that kind of thing. But it's not. Like, there's nothing that you'll be like, that's definitely Utah. Do you, do you like my East Coast elitism when I was just like, oh, yeah. when, I let your, <laughs> when I let your definition of hick equal Southern? And I was like, yeah, 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 oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Hick Southern. Yeah, gotcha. Not that. <laughs> Hick Southern, yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's why all the Trump voters hate us, like, over here. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, how about Trump's America? You loving this? This is um, great, right? First of all, let's just talk about the fact that 
I have gone through two presidencies now where almost every day I'm like, I cannot believe we elected him. We elected this guy. <laughs> like for eight years of Obama, I was happily saying to myself on almost a daily basis, I can't mm-hmm. believe we did this. I really can't believe we elected this guy. Like so happy and proud. And I have the same exact sentiment for <laughs> Donald Trump for an entirely different range oh, yeah. of emotions. Like, I can't believe we elected this guy. <laughs> I know. Well, you wake up every morning and check Twitter and you're like, are, are you kidding me, man? I can't believe we elected him. <laughs> like, I say the same exact thing. So, uh, yeah, I'm basically I, – I, the words that are coming out of my mouth are exactly the same. For nine years running now, <laughs> for entirely and, uh, different reasons. And I guess we should say you're a you're a lawyer. Yes. Um, and did was your work affected by the travel ban? The whole thing. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, because I uh, am an Iranian American, the one of the countries that was affected the most was Iran. So I had a lot of people mm-hmm. in my uh, sort of uh, universe just reaching out and saying, hey, I have this family member flying in from Iran. He's on a visa. Can you help me out? And uh-huh. truthfully, it's a little bit out of my area of expertise. I do plaintiff's you know, personal injury work. These are immigration mm. and constitutional issues. And boy, would I love to do that kind of work. The truth of the matter is, is that when there's a flash in the pan news event like this, these are the lawyers we need. Typically, uh, these are you know jobs that are not as lucrative, if you will. Uh, yeah. These are real uh, lawyers who are uh, you know lawyering from a stand a point of conviction, uh, and it's the most probably <laughs> it's one of the most admirable things you can do. <laughs> Basically, I guess I'm saying I'm such a sellout that I wasn't even prepared to be a part of it on a legal fight. Um, ah. So uh, I have to actually refer people out to like the immigration lawyers. Now, that uh-huh. being said, that being said, you know, it's something that I followed. It's something that was like, I mean, I read the decision uh, by the Ninth Circuit. I read the judge's decision uh, 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 in Brooklyn and then Boston uh, and then Seattle. Uh, so, you know, you're following along and you're like, yeah, of course. The, the Trump argument was basically like the president is the all powerful. He has the right to do this. And you shouldn't, as the judiciary, be able to question him. And you're like, what? (laughs) Motherfucker, do you know what the United States stands for? Well, he he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't understand any of that. Like, like, your argument is there is no checks and balances in the (laughs) system that most perfectly defines the term checks and balances. Like, he would be... Now, let me ask you this question. Sure. Being being in L.A. and being very ensconced in the improv world, which I love so much, what Mm -hmm. percentage of improv scenes have a Trump reference nowadays? Uh, It was a lot for a while. And I think people have tried to keep that out because, like, it's – first of all, it becomes a little bit hack, right? Right. After after a month or two. Um, But I think a lot of it also is, like – I'll say this. The comedy shows I've been to since the election yeah. have not been the most fun or funny comedy shows that I've seen in my life. Um, right, the, right. The, the, whole, like, the whole atmosphere is a little bit more soured, a little bit dour now. 
because of all this going on. Because people, I think, are trying so hard not to bring it up in comedy shows to, like, have one hour of escape from it. Right. You know? Right. Uh, and, and so it's become a little bit, uh, I don't want to say dishonest, the comedy, but a little bit, like, safe. A little bit uh, avoiding. Uh, and I think that's good on the one hand and bad on the other, you know? It's, well, it's it's a it's a really tough atmosphere for comedy right now. First of all, I think that's a really uh, nice summation, and 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 really, what's so interesting about that to me is, you know, I stepped in and I I, I came into LA. I, I I saw I saw myself sprinting for two years, and then I basically yeah. yanked myself out. And so a lot of the a lot of the lessons learned they're really lasting because it's not like i've muddled them with like further lessons on top of the two years of lessons so the things that i take with me more than anything are the the improv you know uh core values which is the truth calling Mm -hmm. out the obvious not letting the elephant in the room sit and from what i'm (laughs) hearing from you is that there's this huge elephant in the room and people really don't want to address it. Yeah. And I, I think it's, I think another part of it is people don't know how to address it because it's really hard to joke about something that like, like with George W. Bush, he made a lot of terrible decisions for instance. Right. Um, A lot of things we didn't agree with policy wise, but I don't think anyone really expected a Holocaust from him, <laughs> you know, whereas now it's a real possibility. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of scary things going on. Yeah. You know, you're talking about all the Jewish headstones and cemeteries that are being defaced. Oh, the, and, and he's not even speaking about not it. Even he's speaking not about saying it. a word. The, the, the three Indian guys uh, that were shot. One in was Kansas. in Kansas by yeah. a guy who's like, get out of my country. Doesn't say a word about it. Um, oh, man. You know, it, it, you're absolutely right. And I guess what's interesting for me is on the issue of comedy specifically is mm-hmm. I feel like if there's anything that – if there's one thing that I have learned being more quiet since the election and just trying to listen, especially to Trump supporters, there uh-huh. is this strain – and I was saying this even before the election – that the political correctness has gotten to such a point for a lot of supporters that they that they hate it and they hate oh, yeah. that feeling that they are being attacked for having a viewpoint that might be considered politically incorrect. What's interesting about the comedy piece of it, which I think should play a huge role, is that comedy is supposed to be a bastion of free speech and a and a and a pusher of the line for which people can say what they want to say in the goal of getting a laugh, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. So it seems like comedy would actually have a huge role to play in this era where you can kind of bridge the gap and say the politically incorrect things to kind of reach out to the Trump supporters. And maybe, maybe the, the liberals of which, you know, I I guess I'm in their camp on some (laughs) level, maybe the liberals can come around and be like, fine, we don't need to like, you know, we don't need to yell shrill at every freaking politically incorrect statement. We can oh, let man. things slide. 
I I I wish that was the case, man. I because I agree with that. I think liberals are every bit as exhausting as conservatives. Yeah, that's like, true. That's for true. sure. It's true. We, well, we live in an outrage culture. We love to get mad at anything that doesn't line up specifically uh, with everything we believe in, right? And it's uh, it's it's crazy. I think you're right. Comedy has a big role to play, and I think people will figure it out. But right now, it's just so it's frightening. And depressing at the same time. Like I'll, I'll bet, I'll bet Xanax prescriptions went through the roof this year. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So who's doing what? What are some of the interesting possibilities or things that you're even seeing? Or is it just really, just really kind of like a crappy time for either improv or comedy in LA specifically that you're seeing? It's hard for me to say because I'm not seeing a huge variety of things right now. I haven't lately. Um, it's been a few months since I've really like been out to a lot of shows because, you know, I don't want to go out either. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, but what I am seeing, it just does just feel like – or in conversations I'm having. Let's let's put it that way because that's a little bit easier to talk – to speak to. Um, I I think people just are sad and worried and not finding a lot of joy. And yeah. I think that's essential to comedy is to find joy in it. And that's not to say that every show's like that or every performer's like that or it's like that 24 hours a day. Uh, it's just to say that that's the way it is more often than it used to be. Yeah. Three, three, four, five months ago when everyone thought Hillary was going to win for sure. Yeah. It sounds, it seems like, and tell me what you think about this with the whole. The fact that like Stephen Colbert's ratings went up and even overall and overall viewers, not in the demo, but in overall viewers, he's beating Fallon because of his barb, you know, sharp wired attacks against mm-hmm. Trump. It seems like because there's this less than civil social environment that we're in, it seems like perhaps maybe a less than civil comedic take is what might seize the day for now. For now. Yeah, I haven't thought about that, but I think that's a good point. You know, Um, like like the person – like Trump goes after people hard and he is, you know, confrontational. He almost like wakes up with a desire to pick a fight with somebody. (laughs) For sure he does. That's what he does. Yeah, like that's his goal for the day. (laughs) Like ate breakfast, took a shit, started a fight. Yeah. You know, like that Lonely Island song, Married a Dude. You know, yeah, uh, and so like that's that's the that's like part of his mo. So you think that it's not about having like a joyous comedic take right now? Maybe that's going to seize the day. It's going to be the guy who probably or the girl like Samantha B who actually goes after him probably ha- the hardest. That viewpoint is what people might gravitate towards because they I, they feel like they might need it. Like the way that yeah. some people thought they needed Jon Stewart during the Bush years. You know, you, just, sure, yeah. you need that to decompress whatever frustration you're feeling. Yeah, I can see that for sure. I haven't given that enough thought. But yeah, I think that's a, that's a solid point. That May- kind of dour, like resentful tone isn't the enemy of comedy. It could make it work. Right. Well, may- may- maybe that – maybe you can do that. If you just channel your emotions for Manchester by the sea <laughs> and apply yeah. it to your political views, <laughs> you're, 
your I mean, to be fair, I hate Donald Trump a lot more than I hate Manchester by the Sea, I which mean, is saying something. I don't know about that, Chris. I really feel like it goes, uh, number one, Manchester by the Sea. <laughs> number two, two, Donald Trump. Lucifer. <laughs> number three, Donald Trump. Like, Oh, man. I mean, I don't know. That's a... That's a that's a tight top three, though. That's a top top three. <laughs> uh, should we should we talk about this TV show? Oh yeah. Uh, so you're here to talk about Master of None today. <laughs> um, thank, thank you for bringing your brown friend on to talk about the brown <laughs> TV show. I well, I can't. That. I, 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 I don't have a choice in that matter. Right? I know. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I, uh, no. It, I do actually. I do love the fact that we are talking about it because there are actually a lot of things that I feel like. I related to that are relevant. So I am actually glad that you asked me to talk about this. For show. sure. Yeah. I do always try to bring a guest on who I feel like relates to the show in some way or another. Um, especially because when I was watching this uh, show, I thought of you a lot because how many times did you go out for auditions as uh, for terrorist roles while yeah, you were in LA? hundred percent. Like what, what percent? hundred percent, right? No, no, no. I wouldn't say a hundred percent. I would say that, what happened? What was happening in LA as I felt like I was going out for auditions was yes, there were the terrorist shows. Like I, I think I, I think I auditioned for NCIS Los Angeles like six or seven times, mm-hmm. and like my two or three callbacks were for like super duper terrorist roles. Right, like real, real bad dudes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I even got a callback where I remember thinking to myself because you know. My dad's family is Jewish, right? I have right, like yeah. I have like straight from central casting Jewish grandmother who lives in Boca Raton, <laughs> Florida, right? And like yeah. she and I are close and I feel like culturally um you know I grew up kind of more Jewish than anything else. My my claim to Jewish fame is that my roommate sophomore year of uh college was from like you know, uh, Scarsdale, New York, pretty Jewish mm-hmm. town. Uh, he and I were lighting the Hanukkah candles and we were doing the Hanukkah prayer and he like forgot it. And I finished it for him, even though he had like a bar mitzvah. And now that dude is a rabbi. Okay. <laughs> so I feel like I have like good Jewish street cred, even if I'm not like 100% uh, super duper Jewish. Mm-hmm. So like when I was going out and like, these terrorist roles were like, we are going to, in the name of whatever, Allah, like, destroy and kill and this and that. I literally thought to myself, like, God, I really hope I don't get this role. <laughs> like, I, I kind of need the money, but I hope I don't get this role. <laughs> That's what he says in the show a bunch. And I remembered you saying that. I was like, man, this show reminds me of Reza, talking yeah. about this all the time. All the time, bro. Like, it was super frustrating. But I also was there at a time when there was a little bit more of the open ethnicity casting. And then like, like my really good white friends would be like, Oh my God, dude, if only, I mean, you're, you're so lucky right now. You're an ethnic person in Hollywood. (laughs) Like no one wants just to cast the white guy anymore. And I'm like Mm. looking at them and I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure, buddy. (laughs) Like like, you got it tough. You got it real freaking tough. <laughs> like, like that's like that's your number one concern that the ethnic, the open ethnic roles aren't available to you, even though we're playing like lead guy number three, which was exactly talked about in Master of None. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, that episode, the episode, I think it was episode six, and I think it was, or episode four, it was called Indians on TV. Might have been yeah, yeah. the most resonant episode for me. Um, you know, the fact that uh, I would go in and do accents, bro. I was doing all kinds of accents. I was doing, were, like, were they calling you in for like Indian parts? Yeah, fuck yeah, dude. To this day, people think I'll look more Indian than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, not to mention the fact that my wife is Indian and like my skin tone, I guess people think I look more Indian. So, um, so yeah, it's there. Uh, it's definitely Mm -hmm. there. Uh, so I, I was like really, I had, bro, I had like three different Indian accents. I had like super duper, uh, you know, Apu, 7-Eleven, Delhi, Indian accent, Mm -hmm. right? Then I had the Indian accent that was like. Indian, but educated in like England, right? So like just a real pure English accent with very slight hints of Indian. And then I had like Indian born, high class Indian guy with English style Indian accent. Like it was like, I mean, I practiced all of these because all of these roles were, you know, relevant for the audition scene. Um, and then, you know, there was obviously a lot of the, uh, Arab language roles, which required an, a more Arabic accent. And then there was like, you know, so some Pakistani roles that, you know, could you speak Urdu, which I can't, but I'd still go out for the role. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I think my worst audition I had in LA, I went to a commercial audition where you had to speak fluent Spanish, right? And I would uh-huh. say I speak, I speak, I speak like study abroad Spanish, you know, like okay, just enough to get by in Spain and like look <laughs> look believable to some extent, but like to actually be on a television spot speaking Spanish, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, and. I literally got to the audition and the woman was like, do you speak Spanish? And I said, yes. (laughs) She said, okay, can we speak? And I said, okay. And she and I spoke and she was like, yeah, I don't think this is going to work. And I literally had to leave the audition, bro. I didn't even get to actually (laughs) audition. Um, So, you know, When you're when you're sort of uh, reaching for straws on some level because you're just trying mm-hmm. to get a job and you're just trying to fit into any role that will give you the job. Um, oh yeah, for sure. You know, it, it, you would think it'd be more expanding because you might be able to go out for these roles, but it's not because you're you're grasping for straws. You know, so like uh, it, it's you know that that show those episodes they were. They really resonated. And the fact that Aziz Ansari was like, no, I'm not going to do an accent. And he like did that audition <laughs> with the cab guy just like in his own voice. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's eventually where I got to because – Because you got tired of the stereotypes. yeah. And like, and like I think being with you and Jake and with the entire uh, improv team, it just kind of reminded me that like the comedy that we were doing – I mean, I almost never did a ethnic character and felt like this was great. You know? <laughs> like this was a killer freaking, you know, improv sketch that we just did or, or whatever, right? Uh, a scene, a sketch. It, it was never 
it just never felt like that was the winner. Um, yeah. And, and well, I remember you did some of those characters. I remember you came out as those big characters with accents. I only have one. I do a German guy. Everybody. I do like your German guy. I do like your German guy a lot. It's kind of it's like it's like the it's like the way that the uh almost like uh the German comes out. It's kind of like it's strong cuz you're like a tall like you got the beard, you look like a you like a burly man, but you can kind of like fall into like the effeminate German, which is so funny. That's my guy. Yeah, that's the effeminate so German RT. Funny. I love that guy. Um <laughs> Yeah, I would do those big characters, but like, and I think those those helped to, I guess, expend that energy that I have because I have so much energy. The, mm-hmm. the ethnic characters help you expend it, but the home run scenes that I felt like made like you laugh, uh, or Ben, or Jake, or or Kay, or whoever was on the back line weren't mm-hmm. necessarily the big characters. It was like just a subtle killer moment. You know, um, yeah, I can see that. I understand what you're saying, and I think, yeah, I think you're probably right <clears throat> because it was more honest to who you are as a real person. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Not not putting up so many different shields in front of it. Exactly, and I think also there is there is like um, <clears throat> you know there there is there is so much more about you as a person when you grow up in this country that resonates with you than even your own ethnicity which i think a lot of people try to identify you with like my fandom for michigan sports right Mm -hmm. is probably (laughs) more salient on some level to knowing me and my personality than like even my persian ethnicity um it feels like as many people know me as like oh the Michigan super fan as they do like Reza, our Persian friend. <laughs> well, yeah, for sure. Because when we used to do that game where we'd play each other's stereotypes, right? Yeah. Like we'd, like we'd make fun of each other and play each other's go-tos. Oh, I love the that. The one we did for you was you were a bro. You were, yeah. uh, you were a frat guy who loved college football. It wasn't anything to do with your Persian heritage. It was exactly. That. Exactly. And like to the point where like I'm not even – I wasn't even in a frat, but that's how much like that <laughs> that identity of being a sports fan kind of is imbued in me, right? Like classic yeah. bro. <laughs> you know? um, but you know, and I think probably in those episodes and like what Aziz Ansari was trying to accomplish was to show, um, yeah, I'm Indian, but I'm like from South Carolina. I went to NYU. I live in New York. I've lived here for 15 years. Like I'm not freaking, you know, uh, uh, Mahesh, the Indian cab driver. Um, but at the same time, his buddy in the show, uh, the other Indian guy who like they went out for the same roles together and they got, mm-hmm. you know, they were competing for that pilot. I actually thought his character was really honest too, where he was like, come on, man, just do the accent, whatever you get paid, you, you know, you get exposed, you get exposure and you go from like – that was also real for a lot of people as well. So I actually appreciated that he had in the show those two Indian like uh, perspectives, and then of course like the Indian meathead who just did push-ups and was like tall and good-looking <laughs> and muscular. Because you'd see yeah. those guys too, and you're like, <laughs> you're like, if this dude were white, he would be like cast in every freaking like gun cop <laughs> war movie or show there existed. You know, mm-hmm. um, 
So I, I, I really appreciated that entire episode, that narrative. And, and it's funny that you thought of me because I was thinking about my experience in LA too. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. what I was thinking about. I remember that episode, that uh, Indians on TV episode. I remember where I was when I was watching this and I was like, every line was like something you had literally said to me. I, like I was at the gym and I was on like the recumbent bike watching it on my phone. And I was like, I remember Reza saying every single one of these things. Yeah, yeah. Hundred percent, and like just walking into a room full of like brown guys, and being yeah. like, "Oh, okay, like this is what it is," you know? <laughs> like, and then are these guys like that guy's definitely uh, doing an accent? That guy like lives with an accent. Like he has an accent, right? As as we're speaking right now. <laughs> so, did I ever tell you about the super racist commercial that I was in? I don't know. Did you? I so you know like I get cast as like the nerdy guy or the you know that that's that's generally where you know my wheelhouse I guess um okay. <laughs> and this was an I I was cast for an IT spot uh I don't remember the name of the company and if I even if I did I wouldn't say it right uh but I went in for the commercial and they had cast like 12 people and oh. I was the only white guy there right it was all Indian or Asian because we were all the IT department oh, right, of, right, of this right. technology company. Yeah. And they came in and they brought us in and they, they pulled me aside. They're like, so you're the head of the department. And I, was like, <laughs> and I looked around and I was like, oh, man, you don't want to do that. <laughs> you were just like, you were like, please don't do that to me. Please, please don't put me in this position. Yep. And oh. it was, I mean, it was, I, I just felt like. Oh, you no. Okay. Uh, well, I can't say anything. <laughs> this is a paycheck. This is, this is my yeah. This is my paycheck for the day. This is a paycheck. <laughs> uh, the 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 racism we have to take on just for that money, just to get yeah, that money. <laughs> That's hilarious. That that is so sad and hilarious. I bet you. Yeah. I bet you so many of the actors were probably like, as long as he doesn't get paid more than me, I'm fine with that. <laughs> you know? As long as his paycheck is not bigger than ours, whatever. <laughs> you know, That's what happens. Yeah. That's what happens when you get into that position. It's like, yeah, I don't want to be this terrorist who's going to say these crazy things so that my grandmother in Boca Raton is like embarrassed to see that I'm on TV, right? Mm-hmm. But it would be a nice paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> it would be nice. It, it would be I nice. can cover my rent for the next. I can month. do it. I can do it. Uh, uh, I know it's the worst. It's the worst. That's why I tell everyone, like, you know, if you're gonna go out to LA and do it, you gotta like write your way. You have to make it. You happen gotta. For, you gotta have to make it happen for yourself. Well, and that that's that's for everybody. Everybody. Like, like no matter what color you are, no matter what gender you are, you gotta write your own way because there's just like there's too many people here, man. Totally. You're going to end up doing stuff you hate and totally. stuff that you hate yourself for doing if you don't just like do your thing, man. And on that note, on that note and kind of getting back to the show real quick, like I, this is an interesting question for you because, you know, we have – we you and I, we have sort of brainstormed a show that you had uh, yeah. or have mm-hmm. and like we talked about all these characters and this and that. Like I think the difference between – Master of None winning an Emmy. What did it win an Emmy for best original, like teleplay or whatever it was, like writing or something like that? It, um, it won something. I can't remember what awards it has won, and I don't remember if it was an Emmy or a Golden Globe, but it definitely did win. Some yeah, stuff. it won something. I thought it was for something mm-hmm. in or like a writing category, for instance. And yeah. 
it just kind of goes to show, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Like, I thought the writing was good. Altogether, though, I wasn't like super blown away by the acting. You know, <laughs> I, 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 did, I agree with that. I, I thought that the stories were cool. I thought that the pacing was all right. Some of the episodes were like a little small for me. Um, like the almost second to last one where they did that huge jump in time uh, and they were just mm-hmm. in Dev's apartment for essentially like nine months or a year. I think every scene was in the apartment. Yeah, um, and he's like making pasta and she's yeah. away and stuff. Yeah, yeah, that mm-hmm. was like weird pacing for me or whatever. But put that all aside. It doesn't matter. They freaking did it. They wrote it. Yeah. They shot mm-hmm. it. It was their voice clearly – it was clearly their voices, Alan Yang and Aziz Ansari. And mm-hmm. for that, they they get 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, right? Yep. And they win an Emmy and a Golden Globe or whatever. And it just kind of goes to show, like, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be good enough and really genuine and true. And I did think that it was honest. And most importantly, I thought it was for honest. Sure. So I was I just wondered what you thought of like the writing, the show creation, the actual production values and all that. Yeah, I like the the lower production value that he has in this uh auteur style that kind of Louis has in his show. Yeah. Um Woody Allen had at the beginning of his career. Uh and that's what you're dealing with when you're dealing with an auteur. You sacrifice a lot of the budget that you might get so that you can have more control, right? Um and I respect the hell out of that. When I first started watching the show, I watched the first episode and I was not drawn in. Yeah, same, uh, I, same. I love this show overall. Yeah. But that first episode, first of all, I don't need to see any more shows about stand-up comics or actors trying to make it. I yeah. don't need any more of those shows. Right. We have plenty of them. And so I was really turned off by that. Yeah. But then the reviews were so good. I was like, really? So then I watched the second episode, which we'll come back to, because I really want to get your take on that. Yeah. But the second episode was the parents episode. Right. And it was not funny. Yeah. It was not a funny episode at all, but it was a great episode. Yeah. And like, suddenly I'm drawn into this. I'm like, okay, this is pretty astute. And he's like, like you can tell by the titles of the episodes, he's going to take on an issue in right. each one, right. which, which when I hear that, I bristle. I'm like, oh, no, you're going to take on an yeah, issue? Yeah. yeah ah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, but he did it very well in a way that depicted a guy in his early 30s viewing the world. He didn't say, you know what, I'm going to tackle this issue and answer all the questions for everybody. He's right. like, I'm 30, and I'm going to tell you what a 30-year-old thinks about this. Yeah. And I'm going to have another viewpoint but I still have my own, right? Right. And I thought that was great the way he approached everything. True, true. Um, it, I think I think what's maybe misconceived uh, or what we don't know perhaps is the audience is like we know Aziz Ansari through his television shows, certainly his stand-up um, and some uh-huh. big parts he's had in uh, movies. We don't know too much about Alan Yang, his writing partner. We know that he was a writer. I know nothing about him. Well, we know. Here's what I know. I think he's okay. from. I think he's from Cali. He went to Harvard. He worked at the you know for the National Lamp uh, the Lampoon. Uh, he got a job, I think, on uh, Parks and Rec, uh, and worked on a couple other shows as a writer. And then <clears throat> the Brian character, played by the Asian actor, was supposed to be the embodiment of Alan Yang. Uh-huh, I got that impression for yeah. sure. So 
what we don't know is kind of his take on everything. Maybe we do from the parents episode, but it, a lot of it felt like it was Aziz Ansari doing kind of like stand up bits throughout an episode, you know, like his take uh-huh. on guys and girls and like the episode <laughs> where he and his buddy Arnold are walking home from the bar and it's like, don't worry, be happy is playing in the background. And like uh-huh. the chick is walking home alone and there's like that creepy guy following her and his, and, and, and oh, right, like, right, there's yeah. ominous music. And the whole take is like, guys are clueless about how easy they have it and how girls have all these weird microaggressions and like creepy things that happen to them. And you're, and he's just basically saying like, this exists. It's reality. Women will tell you it's reality. Like you said, I'm not going to preach to you, but just, this is what my take is on it. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, is that an Aziz Ansari take? Is that an Alan Yang take? These are things that most people don't care about, but you and I having, you know, seen this kind seen this world, you're in it. You know, we thought and contemplated uh, putting together a show like this. I think about it. I'm interested in knowing who's coming up with what. Uh, yeah. Ultimately, it doesn't matter at the end of the day, but it, 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 it it's not him entirely telling you his viewpoint entirely. It's a It's a team effort here. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think they did a very good job of sounding like a unified singular voice. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. That one you're talking about, the one with the, the stalker, yeah. that was one of the episodes where I was like, this one's a little heavy. Hand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Like most of the time I was like, oh, that was a nice presentation. That one I was like, okay, let's, <laughs> let's cool it a little bit with, uh, with, with our opinions here. Like, yeah. like you're not wrong about anything, but you're coming across a little heavy in this one. Yeah, the ladies and gentlemen episode, number seven. Episode yeah. seven. Um, Although, like, is 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 masturbating on the train like a real thing? I guess we have to talk to someone from New York about that. <laughs> I guess I don't. I you, I've heard it so often that it's got to be right. Yeah, I guess. I don't know, dude. I worked I worked as a assistant district attorney for a year in Boston. Uh huh. You would be put on the sex offender registry in a second. Your life would be <laughs> over. You know, like the yeah. last thing, the last <laughs> thing you need to be doing. Is ending up on the sex offender registry? Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I get, I, I have like a, I have like an ID protection thing because the government got hacked like a year and a half ago, and so mm-hmm. I got, I have like a free subscription to identity theft thing. And one of the things they tell you in this, you know, program that monitors your identity theft is like, who are the sex offenders registered in your neighborhood? You know, <laughs> yeah. like anytime there's a new sex offender who moves, and you get like a ding. You know, and frankly, I'm not even sure I want to know these things, but I, I don't. Yeah. I I looked that up one time because you know I used to work for a news station, and we were talking about that and how there's this new site and you can access it real easy. Type in your address and you can see all the sex offenders. Yeah, and and I did it and looked at my neighborhood and it's like I didn't need to know how many there were because <laughs> whoa, holy shit! But like, why is my roommate on this freaking <laughs> um? But one of them, like, you can look at their specific crimes, too. And one of them was, like, almost certainly a 19-year-old guy who had sex with his 17-year-old girlfriend and the father was upset about it. Like, almost certainly that was the situation when you look at the crime and the details and the ages. And it's like, man, that guy shouldn't be on the sex offender registry. 
because he's tracked for the rest of his life now, man. You're sitting there thinking like, and I know about his I, story now. Yeah, yeah, and you're like, you're also thinking like, wait a second, did I do that? Like, did I? <laughs> was I? Was my girlfriend? No, she was. She was my age, right? She was my age, you know. <laughs> she, like my high school girlfriend when she, when I turned eighteen, she was still. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so all right, so uh, that was, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, oh, oh! Here's what I wanted to get your take on. Was episode sure. five the the one with Claire Danes? Was that the best version of Claire Danes we've ever seen on TV or film? Was that like what the, do you like? What do you mean? I I find her to be somewhat insufferable. Like I, I almost cannot stand her. You know, she is, she is on my like shit list of, uh, of actors who I just, the same list where I have Paul Giamatti on there. I I totally have Paul Giamatti on there. He is a hundred percent on that shit list. If he's, I can't watch billions because of him, frankly. I, this is my take on Paul Giamatti. I think he's a great actor. I agree. But there is something about him. That I can't watch. 100%. Like Cinderella Man, uh, that Russell Crowe, yeah. Renee Zellweger, Paul Giamatti. I think it is a perfect movie. You love it. It was like pitch perfect from beginning to end. And somehow I was able to look past Paul Giamatti. It's the only movie where I can be like, yeah, he's fine. But <laughs> everything else, I'm like, he is a great actor, but I can't watch him I, I for feel some it. reason. I feel and that's how you feel about Claire Danes? I, I feel that way about Paul Giamatti and Claire Danes. I, <laughs> I know she's a great actress. I know that she kills it and is like emotionally raw. I just can't watch her. I just can't do it. I'm not into it at all. Okay, that's so funny. I can I can understand why you might feel that way. She doesn't rub me that way, but like I I get it. I see it. But sure. I, I, I kind of dug her in this role, like totally Did you in this show. Yeah, totally like uh, not uh, typical, sort of not like typecast Claire Danes, uh, sort of in that she's you know like the super smart food critic, right? But this mm-hmm. sort of um, uh, married deviant who's looking for like an escape from her marriage. I just I never would have thought to cast her in that. And I kind of dug it. I was yeah. kind of into her in that role, for sure. I liked – see, in that episode, like, the guy going into the ice cream shop and everything, her husband, yeah, yeah. was a little unbelievable, <laughs> totally, like a little convenient. Totally. But I was okay with it. Yeah. Because I was like, I, 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 I'm fine with that because this is – a funny scenario and like yeah like I, i'll buy into this like i'm, I'm fine with this right. like, i don't care if that's unbelievable right right but. i i will say speaking of like those uncomfortable moments and like the fact that he got caught you know in uh-huh. like your classic uh pants down pants off like in the closet or behind some kind of closed door scenario again totally cliche but again i'm okay with it right i was uh-huh. fine with that too I would say the thing that I liked about the whole arc of the 10 episodes was that sometimes shows do this thing where they take you up, maybe high, but they take Mm -hmm. you down the same amount low. Mm -hmm. So your peaks and your valleys are about the same and you end up kind of in this weird middle where there's this great happy moment, but dun, 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 we know we're going into a valley soon, (laughs) you know, like – yeah. No show personifies that more than Game of Thrones, which spends most of its time in the valley. You know, yeah. um, mm-hmm. or, or 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 they don't even take you down a slope; they literally kick you off a ledge, 
and you go down into the valley, <laughs> right? There's no like – it's not like a parabola where you go yeah. up and then you come down and then you go up and then you come down. It's this a is, sheer drop. <laughs> it's a sheer no parachute motherfucking drop. <laughs> you <know>? The thing <laughs> yeah. I liked about this is that the, 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 the lows weren't that low. Right, you weren't yeah, ever really sure. taking into like a deep valley of like weird depression or like terrible things happening or some kind of like so super awkward moment where you're just like squirming in discomfort, um, mm-hmm. like curb your enthusiasm, like curb your enthusiasm, <laughs> right? Or like Seinfeld, great shows, brilliant shows, but sometimes the, the squirm factor is high, yeah, super sure. high. Um, so I like that about this. So if you don't I mean, for anyone listening, for the you know the the few people that are listening to this right now, to <laughs> me, to you, like my podcast on Michigan football. If if you haven't seen the show, I I think that if you if you don't have a huge tolerance for the deep valleys, then this is a perfect show for you. Yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. Uh, um, <clears throat> so let's talk about the parents episode. Yes. Okay. Let's do it. You're you were born in uh, Iran. Correct. Yes, and then you came to the United States when you were th- uh, three. Is that right? Basically, two and a half. Yeah, two and a half. Um, so your parents would be immigrants at the same, like, uh, to the same degree of Aziz's or his character's parents in this show. Yes, definitely, right? definitely my mom and definitely my mom's family to a T. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It was that was a very dramatic episode to me, like. Like we all have those stories going back. I got to go back three generations before we get these stories, this hardship and all these things that our family did to get us the opportunities and privileges we have. Right. Right. Uh, So from a more first generation perspective, how how much did you relate to that episode? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, the funny thing is that there are a world of immigrant kids that could relate to that. Right. The way that so many Persian and Arab friends of mine loved my big fat Greek wedding when it came out in 2002 or whenever it did. <laughs> like that, yeah. everyone was like, "Oh, that could have been my big fat Persian wedding or my big fat <laughs> Lebanese wedding." You know, um, there was a lot of that, right? The whole idea that the children are ungrateful, that the parents mm-hmm. sacrifice so much, and so you know, when uh, Dev's dad asked him to fix his iPad, for instance, right? Uh-huh. And Dev was like, "I can't. I'm going to the movie with my friend. I'm like, what about your computer guy?" <laughs> And like the flashback to indicate how much suffering this guy had to go through just to get this kid here and give him this better life and how much of a brat he looks like. I think to some extent, a lot of immigrant kids feel that way. Um, Mm -hmm. And like, you know, we're never going to do enough to sacrifice for our parents. So our sacrifice has to be through achievement, right? So you have to achieve to show the thanks because um, they sacrifice like literal hardship, all right, and we have to sacrifice like, oh, I can't, you know, go out right at six o'clock on Friday night because I might have to study and finish this like one piece of homework, you know, <laughs> that I yeah. you know, like. My mom literally escaped Iran on in a motorcycle, like on a motorcycle. I was like on the back of a motorcycle. We escaped to Pakistan through the southeast desert of Iran. We went to Pakistan. We were like. Uh, we went to Spain. We had to wait to get our visas. Like we were in Spain for like you know a couple months, whatever. Holy like shit. all these people living in it. Like it's crazy fucking shit, right? Yeah, like, that is insane. Yeah, it's insane. And like you come here, 
And like I had a freaking Apple IIc computer when I was a kid. I had a Nintendo. Like I didn't want for anything because my mom didn't want me to want for anything. And like, you know, clearly, clearly I was like, I'm sure I did stupid bratty things that were like, you know, mom, why can't I get Street Fighter? It just came (laughs) out. I want Street Fighter, you know? (laughs) Like – that's the kind of stuff that I feel like is a dime a dozen story. Um, mm-hmm. So what was cool is, you know, they were showing this stuff. To be honest, there's a part of me that kind of hates – it's difficult to watch a show that hits home because you're like, uh-huh. I could have done that. Like I could write this. You know? <laughs> like yeah. this is my experience. I could write this. And in fact, I did in college – uh, back in 1998, 1999, 2000, 2001, mm-hmm. 2002, uh, well, I guess 99 to 2002 because we did our cultural show, our Persian cultural show in the spring of every year. And I wrote the skits and we talked about, you know, that bond between child and parent and the funny things that our parents do and the funny accents that they have and the crazy expectations and all the sacrifice. You know, the classic immigrant story of I walked five miles to school uphill. <laughs> yeah both ways, you know, um, that sort of cliche was like stuff that I had written back in college. And this was 90, I was in college 98 to 2002, but the show happened in the spring. So it was like the spring 99, 2000, 2001, 2002. And, you know, the next logical step would have been to like go out to LA or something like that. And, you know, like Mm -hmm. an idiot, I chose to go to DC and work on Capitol Hill. (laughs) Um, so you're watching this episode the parents episode and so much of the dialogue is hitting home but you're i'm also thinking like god damn it god (laughs) damn it you know like just why didn't you just freaking sack up and write something like this uh for television um if people are into this i have this for days you know i have this for days i can write this fucking episode six times um So it it actually – that episode when my wife and I started to watch the show, I don't know, eight months ago or nine months ago, Mm -hmm. whenever it was, that episode is what made me stop watching it because it was – You stopped watching it. I stopped watching because I was like, this this hits too close to fucking home, right? (laughs) This is like (laughs) – this is killing me right now, you know? Oh, man. You know – I don't want to like, I don't want to give away like your life story, but I know a little bit about you. And if, Mm -hmm. if someone like just came on the scene, not, sorry, didn't just come on the scene, but if someone who's on the scene came up with a show, the show was like a critical success. And it talked about a lot of the things that you went through in your life, like growing up in Mm -hmm. Utah and like your experiences, uh, you know, post graduation and sort of, you've had, you know, you, you've traveled the road. Since then. Sure. Yeah. And I I know the things you're talking about. Yeah. 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 And then that show was like a critical success. And like, oh man, I'd be so mad. (laughs) Like, no, no, that is mine. You can't have it. Exactly. Exactly. Ah. So that I I kind of felt that. But then, you know, once the selfishness wore away, um, I, I appreciated it for what it was, which was like, you know, it's it's true. I, this whole notion of like keeping immigrants out of this country, motherfucker, like we love this country more than anybody. We we escaped a good situation that turned bad 
So we mm-hmm. got the fuck out of there and came here. <laughs> so this was the landing spot from a good situation gone bad. There's a lot of appreciation for what this is. A lot mm-hmm. of appreciation for what this country is and for what it's given us. So – and also like I speak better English than a lot of white people. <laughs> like what? I speak better English than the president. You know? Yeah, for sure. Why not? Like so by a factor of a thousand. What are you trying to like? We are contributing. <laughs> so oh, it, it, yeah, it has that. That's a very that that definitely hits home. That's a that's like an important. A, it, it 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 connected with me. It connect. It almost connected with me too much. <laughs> yeah. So, well, for sure. Sounds yeah. like it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Oh man. Uh cool. Uh before we get to the game, do you have anything else you want to say about Master of None or any of the episodes we didn't touch on? Well, I guess I want I wanted to know what you thought of like the notion that you could go to Nashville for sort of like a second first date. <laughs> <laughs> like is that really like a believable scenario? Like are you going to pick up and go? I mean, she was super cool about everything. Oh, that's yeah. that's what I wanted to ask you. That's what I want sure. to talk about. Is it me or did so like obviously Aziz Ansari wrote the show with Alan Yang. He stars in it. It's like his mm-hmm. brainchild. I actually thought he came across as like kind of selfish throughout the For season. For sure. For sure. He did. Yeah. And particularly in that episode, you know. Um, and I think that's – I think there's a little bit of self-awareness to that, though. Okay. Particularly that episode, you know, where he wants to go off and try to get some sauce before they go to the airport. Um, and it makes her miss the recital, which is super selfish. Uh, and I think there's a there's 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 an awareness, uh, both to the character of Dev and to Aziz Ansari, as he and Alan Yang are writing this episode, that... Uh, this is some pretty selfish stuff. And I think he knows throughout the series. And I think, um, I, I, th- I think that's important because without that, he doesn't have a noticeable character flaw, which would make him boring to watch. That's a good point. I didn't think about mm-hmm. that because there were some things that were subtly selfish. Like if I went out to dinner on a date with a vegetarian, right? Like, the oh or- yeah, the yeah. ordering of all that meat, you know, like oh yeah, <laughs> that's not cool. <laughs> no, <laughs> like it really sucks. I, I have my wife and I were really good friends with a couple who are vegetarians, and you know mm-hmm. we try to be very considerate of them. And my take on their eating experience outside is that like it can be very limiting, so mm-hmm. you have to be just a smidge more considerate. <laughs> um, yeah. And like that was super selfish. Yeah, definitely the the hot sauce. Um, kind of like his approach to the uh, cleaning of the apartment and how he wanted it. And like, <laughs> would yeah. a, would a guy ever really negotiate a game around not getting a BJ? Like, <laughs> is that even like within the realm of possibility? Like, <laughs> if you don't do your annoying thing, you don't have to give me a BJ. <laughs> You know, like, what? I don't know. I just, that yeah. part, I didn't, I'm not sure I got that. You know? And she the, called the it cleaning, out. Yeah, she totally did. Yeah. And, the, and the, the thing about the cleaning of the apartment thing was he was super selfish. Like, it's like, he's not 
necessarily wrong about the way he likes things. Right. You know, but it's like, I, I don't want to say pick your battles because that oversimplifies it, but you know what I'm talking about. Like, like people got to live the way they want to live. And like, you're imposing this whole thing on her. And like, I, I think it's a character flaw that they knowingly gave the character. And maybe Aziz Ansari is like that in real life. Um, I mean, we all are to a certain degree, right? Yeah, no, but true. Like, but I think they heightened it as his character flaw. I, 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 I want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say it's deliberate and self-aware. Okay, I'm, I'm buying it. I'm buying it because I like <laughs> it, and it helps me make sense of it. So I'm, I'm in. I'm all in. Okay, I'm all in. great. I'm all in. Okay, one more question before we get to the game: the mar- sure. the marriage scene. I thought that was actually a pretty brilliant scene where they got up there and they did those like weird vows that were like – In that final episode? Exactly. Where it's like I'm Uh not sure if this is the right thing and like you could be the person I want to spend the rest of my life and maybe this is the same move. Oh, right. Yes. Um, You know, I've I've heard him talk about that in his stand-up before. So that particular uh, interaction when they're out on the waterfront about to get married in like a weird flashback or flash forward. um, Uh That – that – it was familiar. Like I kind of knew that that was his take on being a 30 something in New York city. Um, Mm -hmm. where he's like, you know, really, I'm like going to spend the rest of my life with someone forever. And I just, you know, like I'm making this decision as a 20 year old. Like, is that really the decision a 20 year old really wants to make, you know, to be with (laughs) someone forever. Um, and I, I get that he's, he's there, but like the, the notion that like you see your friends who are in love and they're like so certain, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like maybe I was one of those guys who was so certain uh, to to think that like that in and of itself is the end all be all of the successful relationship. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that's just the start, you know? That's just <laughs> the start. So if his point is that if you don't even have that, then you're going to fail – then okay, fine, mm-hmm. fine. But sure. if, if his point was like that is the ingredient that you need for – That is the grail. That exactly. That is the holy grail of exactly. a relationship. I don't believe that because I've seen people who – I know people who got married before they were like deeply madly in love with the person and they have a great relationship because there are so yeah. many other things to making a relationship work. Um, and, and, and you know, in the West, we mm-hmm. love and then marry – but in the East, this is obviously very broad, but in the East, right. you argue that they marry first and then learn to love. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that I was – I remember being at a leadership retreat in, in college and someone telling – one of the teachers explaining this philosophy to us um, as a starting point to a conversation. Uh, and it's interesting that he is like so hell-bent on this notion of you must be in love before like, as the prerequisite to marriage and not even just in love because he was at like 80 percent that's pretty freaking good yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> but that that torpedoed his relationship the his 80 percent i would argue torpedoed the relationship yeah here's here's a question for you about that yeah at 30 because we're you and i are both a few years past that right at 30, did you not view it the same way? I did. Totally. Yeah, fair. so did I. Totally fair. So did I. And, and then a yeah. few years later, I'm like, nah, 
that certainty is crazy to like think that you need that. And and, and sometimes and to think that that's it, right? Or, but at thirty, I thought that I think. I think I think that's a great point, and I think that's totally fair, and mm-hmm. I think that's that's exact that that must be what is the explanation. Um, but what's interesting the 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 real complicated thing, and and you know. I think he's true to his voice, so to that mm-hmm. extent, that's fine. I guess if if I was sort of to throw myself in it, it would only that would ring true to a point, and then the question would be like, is there? I don't know how to even put it, but it, it, it's not. It's almost like his entire take on the relationship was that. It's not that I don't know whether I love her or not. It's that I mm-hmm. don't know what I don't know about the future. That's a weird thing where you're kind of taking the person and you're extrapolating them over a period of time and thinking that that uh-huh. that what you've experienced over time has been so unstable. How can you predict that your feelings will be stable over this long period of time. And uh-huh. I think I think that's not too dissimilar from the point that you were making, but it's not exactly that. It's that at a point in time, you're certain and you don't even think about the future. <laughs> you're like that makes sense. You know, you're like, yeah. at this point in time, I am certain this is right. Right, this is right. I'm not thinking about 10, 20, 15, 30 years from now. I know this is right. And then mm-hmm. you just kind of that's that's like living in the moment, right? That's operating in your heart zone, if you will. Uh sure. it, it seemed like it seemed like his problem was I don't know if I'm ready to make a decision about the future, whether you're right or you're not. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Does that is that that much of a distinction? Maybe I'm not making any distinction at all. No, I think uh I think you're right. Um I think No, I I I understand what you're saying perfectly and I think that's right. I think he isn't ready to make a dis- uh a decision about the future uh because he's 30. You yeah. know. Yeah. I think there is a thing that happens like that starts happening almost the day you turn 30. I have I have a theory on this. Yeah. Uh I won't go into it, but I think there's a thing that starts happening like pretty much the day you turn 30. That, like, you didn't conquer the world and that's okay. Right. In your 20s, everyone wants to conquer the world and have an impact on the world and be remembered and do a thing that changes society uh, in one way or another. Um, and once you hit 30, like, that goes away and it slowly diminishes this the, this idea that you, you are so important. Um, and that, like, every decision is so important. And you start to realize, you know, like... Decisions are decisions. Some of them are important. Some of them are not. And even the important ones aren't that important most of the time, right? Right. Um, and I think that's that's kind of along the lines of what you're saying. Is like he's young. He's not ready to make a decision about the future. He gets a little bit older. Like he realizes this is right right now. I can't worry about the future because I'm convinced. Right. I, am, am, am I interpreting you right? Yes, that's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. Because when, at some point you reach the point where you're like, I'm not even thinking about the future. I'm just thinking, like, yeah. And <laughs> I, I would say that number for me was like, it was like a couple of clicks even after thirty. Yeah. Like that that 
sentiment that you described that I do think really does apply to a lot of people at 30 was even worse for me. I had to wait even a few more years <laughs> after that to kind of get there um, for better or for worse. But anyway, so that was that was my last thought on the show. Awesome. No, that was great. Um, so let's play this game. All right, let's play. All right, the game is called What the Fuck Did I Just Watch? I love it. What the fuck did I just watch? I'm going to describe a scenario of a show. Yeah. Um, it might be the whole show or it might be part of the show. Okay. Uh, these are all TV shows. And you're going to tell me what the fuck I just watched. Yeah. And because Master of None was a freshman comedy, got renewed for a second season, all of these are freshman comedies. Nice. Or, in other words, they all just finished their first season and were renewed for a second. Okay, so, so you're, we're, you're actually going to describe real shows. Yeah, these are real shows. These are real shows, and I am I am I genuinely trying to guess the show? Oh yeah, I okay. want you to I want you to figure out which show I'm talking about. Okay, all right. I'm ready. Most people most people get two out of five, so we'll see how you do. Oh my god, oh my god, I can't do less than two out of five. I'm <laughs> <be> so embarrassed. <laughs> what the fuck did I just watch? Number one. Okay. Reza. Yes. Last night, okay. I was watching this show where a woman who was a terrible person her entire life died and was mistakenly sent to a paradise in the Universal Studios theme park. What the fuck did I just watch? I think you watched the Kristen Bell show, The Good Place! That's right, yes. I did. <laughs> yes! You got the first one. Oh my god, one yeah, more, that... just one more. Just one more. Just one more, that's just all one you more. need that's to hit par. Need. Just one more, I need par. I love that that show is so obviously the main courtyard of Universal Studios. Like, Like, it's... Everything in the good place. Have you watched the show? I, you know, my wife watches it, so I like, you know, I, I drop in. I like do a little parachute watching, you know. <laughs> I drop in for an episode or two. I love that show so much. And Ted Danson in that show is like my favorite thing on the planet right now. Every episode I've watched has been good. Yeah, it's a yeah. great show. And Adam Scott, the character he plays, that's just a recurring role. So funny. Uh, all right. Number two. Yeah. Reza. Yes. Last night, I was watching this show where a woman hired a lawyer with advanced dementia to represent her in a messy divorce. What the fuck did I just watch? Oh, shit. I feel like I've seen the trailer for the show. Mm -hmm. um, God damn it. I feel like it was... Is I, I think it's Network. I think it's Network. Uh, maybe not. Maybe okay. Oh, oh God! I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's cable. Cable? What? The, what is cable? It's on cable. Oh, it's on cable. It's on cable. Oh, it's mm -hmm. on cable. I thought that was the name of the show. I was like, what the fuck? No, is no, 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 no. <laughs> okay, it's on cable. It's on cable. Hired a guy, a lawyer with advanced mm -hmm. dementia, to help. It, it, what? What? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's not the core premise of the show. It's just one of the things oh, that happen. it's just happens. one of the things that happen. It's just one of the mm. things that happen. Um, all right, all right, all right. Uh, I got to guess. I'm just going to guess uh, freshman, freshman comedy, freshman show, freshman show. Mm. I don't oh, – I don't know. See, many. <laughs> I don't know. I'm freaking all out. All right. It's Divorce on HBO. Oh, yes. Sarah Jessica yes. Parker and Thomas Hayden Church. Yes, yes, totally. <laughs> I haven't watched an episode, but I, I, I know the show. Yes, I know the show. It's a, it's a good show. I like it. 
Uh, okay, this one's a yeah. deep pull, so we'll oh, see. God. We'll see oh, how you do here. All right. I need one more. I just need to get to par. Right. <laughs> Number three, yeah. uh, Reza. Yes. Last night I was watching this show where a woman who could not die kidnapped a hacker and forced him to help her murder a time traveling investigator. What the fuck did I just watch? Oh, um, this is a. I, I feel like. Is this one of the this is on this is on network, right? Uh no, it's on a cable. What? Time yeah. traveling cable. I'm going to give you a hint cuz this is such a deep pull. Okay. It's on BB, BBC America. Oh, 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 is that the one with all the That's not the one with all the um change like that one chick who plays all the four or five different roles, is it? Um, no, that's Orphan Black. Orphan no, Black, yeah. Orphan Black. Oh, okay. Mm-mm. All right, then I don't know because if it's not Sherlock, if it's not Orphan Black, if it's not uh, <laughs> Downton Abbey, that yeah, Downton Abbey. Those BBC. Are my, those are my list of BBC shows. <laughs> uh, this one is Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency. Whoa! Yeah. Whoa! It's a pretty great show. I really enjoyed it. That's um, like a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's based on a Douglas Adams uh, novel or short story. I don't remember which. I don't even know who that is, and you sound a lot he, smarter than I do right now. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I do know what that is. I do yeah. know what that is. There okay. you go. There right. you go. Here we go. I'm back in it. I'm back in it. All right. All right. For three. Come on. I need one more. I need right. one more. Number, number four. Okay. Number four. All right. All right. All right. Reza. Yes. Last night, yeah. I was watching this show where vying for a promotion, two men burned down their boss's house. What the fuck did I just watch? What? What? Two men burned down their boss's house. Two men burned down their boss's house to get a promotion. In order They were both they're both vying for the same promotion. So they're trying to eliminate the, or get the boss to quit so that they can uh, get that job. So they burned down her house. Oh my god. Um Fuck. Dude, I have no I literally have no idea what show this is. Um Oh man. Oh man. oh man, this is gonna be so painful. It's gonna be so painful <laughs> if it comes down to this last show. Um I have I don't uh Two men vying for their boss's job. Boss is a chick. We know that. Mm -hmm. They accidentally or purposely burned down her house. (sighs) I'll tell you their place of employment. Because I really want you to get two here. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) Their place of employment is a public high school. A public high school. Does that help? A public high school. Public high school. I feel like it's there. I feel like it's in the forefront of my brain. Uh, public high school. All I can think of right now is that uh, new movie coming out with Ice Cube, uh, Fist Fight. Um, no, it's not that. <laughs> um, public high school would be um, a. I don't know. I don't oh, know. man. I don't All know. right. It's on HBO. It's Vice Principals. Oh, I haven't seen an episode, but I could have probably, if I <laughs> try to, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. 
I'm not thinking, bro. I'm like praying. Oh, oh man. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> this is bad. Okay, last one. Last one. Okay. I right. really want you to get this. I do, too. I do, too. Number five. Okay. Reza. Yes. Last night, I was watching this show on Netflix where a rock musician hiding in a secluded cabin in the woods was sniped from a rooftop then run over by a tank. What the fuck did I just watch? What? A rock musician mm-hmm. was in the woods in his cabin. He's hiding in a secluded cabin in the woods where he's trying to record a song. He finishes the song. He's standing on a rooftop where he was sniped and then run over by a tank. Sniped and run over by a tank? This sounds like... Is this a comedy? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, it's a comedy. Oh, Oh, okay. All right. So it's a comedy. And it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. Uh... All right. So I'm trying to think of all the shows on Netflix that were just freaking started okay so i saw the crown but it's not the crown it's not the crown (laughs) it's not the crown because that's not funny um doesn't sound like it's orange is the new black and that's not a new show no um it's not i'm gonna i'm just gonna go i'm just gonna go by my deductive reasoning here because i'm just gonna go through all the shows that i watch on netflix there's narcos (laughs) But it's not because Narcos, although it's been renewed for a third season, we're in the second season of Narcos. Yeah, it's been renewed for a third and fourth season. Oh, really? But yeah, the second season is what just ended. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, so we know it's not Stranger Things because that's, uh, that's just uh, nope. not that kind of show. <laughs> um, freaking A. I'm trying to think of all the shows. Uh, it's not Luke Cage. Right, because no. that's not a funny show. That's a <laughs> uh, god damn it. Um, all right, I'm I'm, not, I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna chill until I figure this out. All right, okay, I'm chill okay. until I figure this out. Netflix, Netflix. Well, we know Master of None is Netflix. Yeah, um, but it's not that because I just saw every episode of that. Uh, I'm gonna give you a clue. I did say the name of this show since we've been on the phone oh, with each other oh um uh da, 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 you you did a podcast about this in florida you did a podcast about yes. this in florida uh-huh. wet hot american summer yes it's yeah, wet hot american yeah, summer two out of five two out of five all right yes. you did it you got par it. i got par Whew. dude i was dying there i was <laughs> dying wow so you did it. So what of those five shows? I guess the mm-hmm. only one that I've seen in bits and pieces is the first one, The Good Place. The Good Place. Of the which other is a great show. four, which if I was to watch just one of the other four, which one should I watch? Wet Hot American Summer. Wet Hot American Excellent Summer. Excellent show. And funny. Uh yeah. The Vice Principles is like mm, it's 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 fine, it's whatever. Yeah. Uh Divorce is good, but like if you're limited on time, I'd skip that one. Dirk Gently's really good, but if you're living on time, skip that one. But Wet Hot American Summer is essential. Okay. It's so good. All right, I'll watch it. I'm, so I'm in. Good. I'm in, especially because it, it <laughs> saved me. 
Especially because it saved me. And and it's it's only eight episodes, eight thirty minute episodes. Oh, you can that's do it in an afternoon. Heck yeah, that's cash money. Yeah, it's so good, dude. This was uh, so much fun. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Oh, this was it. great. I love it. Uh, anything else you want to talk about before we uh, before we uh, stop recording? I mean, Anything else you need the people to hear? I all I, all I want to know is can I come back because this this was uh, cathartic, it was <laughs> therapeutic. Uh, I really got to get a lot of things off my chest. <laughs> and, oh, that's good. You know, just chat, chat, just chat with my bro, just chat with my bro. Yeah, so awesome. I'm I'm in. If you need, if you're in a pinch and need somebody to pinch hit, you call me for sure. Yeah, we'll this. work that out. Awesome, man. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Great job. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, listening for listening. Thanks, Steve Gomes, for the music. And Curtis Hansen for production support. Yeah.